This morning we would like to speak upon the subject which would be very appropriate for this morning. The answer to your life, our life, and the answer to my life, to every single thing that goes on, is the empty tomb. So we'd like to speak upon the empty tomb. The empty tomb. If you would uh, turn with us to John's Gospel, chapter 20. I, John is one of my favorite characters, and I mean that in a sacred sense. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said it himself five times. No, he, re he, re no, he really was, honestly. He really was, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to tell it five times. No one else said it but him, but, he, but it's true, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. The, the other thing that blesses me about John, he was a gr godly man. He lived to be older than any other disciple. And possibly he lived to be 112 to 114 and in, in around there. But the one thing I like about him is he told the story that he outran Peter. <laughs> but in that particular case, he was very humble. He just said the other disciple, but if you read the, the chapter, you know very well who that other disciple was. And so he was like today's preachers, we often say. We fought in a, a, a boxing match, and we just tell when we won, I mean... <laughs> But uh, notice this, John 20, this is not the significance of what we're going to say here, uh, it's something else. Uh, anyway, in verse 2, when Mary Magdalene, she saw the stone was rolled away, then she cometh and to Peter, Simon Peter, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, they've taken away my Lord out of the sepulchre. Now, isn't that just like a beautiful, sweet, loving, godly, spirit-filled woman? She was as pure as she could be. And she was at the tomb, and they were not. She was standing by, and they were not. She was faithful, and they were not. But she didn't like it that they'd taken away a Lord. She... She never considered the fact that maybe he was res risen. I mean, she was told he was going to be, but her emotions were observing the scene by sight, and she was, well, her emotions became negative at a great event, but purely and sincerely wonderful in her quality of love toward Christ. So, I mean, she could have said, yeah, he said that he would rise and he's risen. Although her, her emotions said, they've taken away my Lord. I can picture counseling her at that point. <laughs> you sat there as a counselor, but, but didn't he say he was going to be risen? But they've taken away my Lord. I know, I know, but d didn't he say that he was going <laughs> to... You, you'd never get that through to her. She was beautiful. She was a wonderful lady. She was a sweetheart. But I'll tell you, there was just one thing. They took away her Lord. 
And for you to get into her heart that he's risen? No, sir. Nope. I mean, she was a godly woman. She was faithful. But they took away her Lord. That's all that was going through her mind. Well, the most beautiful women in the world sometimes evaluate things like that. And God bless them. But at least they're, by the, they're standing by the tomb. Thank God for them. They'll always stay true when the men become cowards. Now, by the way, she also said we don't know where they've taken him. They're always very precise about what they're... Now, verse 3. Peter, therefore, went forth, and here's John, very humble now, very humble, and he went forth, and that other disciple came to the sepulchre. And they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. I mean, that, that's a detail, I'll tell you. That's an in God gave that detail, and that's an inspired detail, and where do you think you find it? In John 20. I love it. It's... That's why I've got to, I love John. He was a magnificent, deep man of God that understood the incarnation. And I love him, but I also love the fact that he was human. <laughs> he wanted me to know that he, <laughs> that he outran Peter. Well, you've got to admit, if Peter had outrun John, he would have told you too. In fact, he would tell you that he loved God better than John. Or, or if John failed, he wouldn't. That's why all of us have a privilege to, to make it today. These men were apostles and we're not, but we have a great opportunity to make it. Well, and he, verse 5, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and he went in. Uh, if you know these fellows' personality, even that's quite interesting. One fellow outruns the other one, but the other one doesn't go in. He looks. The other one pays no attention to that. He goes in. You know who he was. Get out of my way. I'm going in. I mean, when... When it's, when it's, he hasn't caught any fish all night, he just swims to shore while everybody else comes in the boat. While, while, while Jesus walks on the water, the rest stay in the boat. And he says, if it's you, bid me to come. You see, he always was a man of action. That's why he cut somebody's ear off. He couldn't stay still. He goes in, John doesn't go in. He walks on the water, the rest of them stare at him. He cuts the ear off, Jesus puts it back on. <laughs> Verse 6. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes there and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. 
they went in also. Then went in also that other disciple, which is too humble at this point to tell you his name. And they went in that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and he believed. Did you notice who he gives a record of the one that saw and believed? I don't read here that Peter saw and believed. But in verse 8, John saw and believed. I love that. I believe he did. I think this is precious. This is beautiful. But I also love the fact that he told you that when he doesn't know about Peter, because who knows about Peter, but when he saw it, he believed. Remember, remember when they caught nothing all night? Do you remember what John did? When Peter thought it was the voice of a Galilean hollering from the shore early in the morning, and John said, no, it's the Lord. Who knew the Lord's voice? John did. Who understood the incarnation? John did. Now, verse 9 is the verse that I want you to see thoroughly with us. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, read it with me, please. For as yet they knew not the Scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Say it again. And say it again. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. Now, for as yet, they knew not the Scriptures. Let me ask you a question. Jesus had told them on three definite occasions at least that he would die, that he would be tried before the priest, the high priest, that he would be placed upon trial, and he would what? What did he tell them? He'd be, he'd be crucified, buried, and he would what? Say it. Did Jesus tell him before it happened he would rise again? How many times? Many times. Jesus told him that he would what? Rise again. After he is risen, they still do not know the Scriptures. You can hear the Word of God preached and 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 not know the Word of God. Uh, I, I want to say something for the first time this morning. If you're ready. Uh, did Jesus tell them that he would die and be buried and rise again, did he? Oh, he did. Well, did he do it more than once? Yes. Did he do it before he was crucified? And after he was crucified, buried, and risen, the Bible says what? They what? Didn't know the Scriptures. But weren't they apostles? Were they or not?
They were apostles. They weren't just any run-of-the-mill Christians. They were apostles. And they'd heard Jesus preached. And after it happened, they didn't know the Scriptures. That's the problem with the church. There it is. Holy Spirit had been breathed upon them in John 20, 22. Their office had been clarified as apostles. You know that, that on this Easter Sunday, there are multitudes of Christians who have been saved for years that do not know the Scriptures. Even though they quote them, a test comes, a trial comes, Sickness comes, death comes, heartache comes, liberalism sets in, and they do not know the Scriptures. They've heard them, they've read them, they've heard that Christ is coming back, that we will live in the beginning of sorrows. They do not know the Scriptures. They've heard them and heard them and heard them, and God can heal. But when it comes times of healing, they do not know the Scriptures. They know that God can, can do anything, but when the power of God is released in a divine visitation, they do not know the Scriptures. What does it mean? That they can't experience the life of resurrection. What was happening with these two men? They went to their own homes. They should have had a party, praising God, shouting, screaming, resurrection party. No, they went to their own homes. Why? Didn't know the Scriptures. John believed, but the Bible says, John says he believed, and the next verse said he didn't know the Scriptures about the resurrection. Heard them. The best teacher in all the world preached to him. He even now believed it, didn't know the Scriptures. Many of you think you've heard something before. You can hear it. You're not free. What does it mean not to know the Scriptures? It means not to experience the empty tomb. They didn't go, go uh, back. And they should have been running to all the other disciples. And they should have been running to everyone and said, He's risen! He's risen! He's risen! It's an empty tomb! He's risen! He's risen! He's risen! He's risen! He's risen! Didn't know the Scriptures, went home to their own homes. There are preachers up and down this land and throughout the world this morning who are saved and going to heaven and will be preaching on Easter Sunday, the resurrection, that don't know the Scriptures. There will be multitudes of saved people, born again, seated in the seats and in the pews and singing beautifully and happy today that do not know the meaning of the empty tomb. You picture at that time a person who had followed the story of Christ, who had been saved, 
who had watched Jesus Christ and had been in the crowds around him, not a disciple, but a tremendous admirer of Christ. You picture that person just before the resurrection, visiting the tomb and thinking perhaps something like this. I thought, I didn't think that they could kill him. What's he doing dead in that tomb? I was there one day when, when, when I saw, saw him on the outside. I didn't go in, but I heard about it and I saw the 12-year-old girl. I was outside the house. I was outside and I was there one day when he went in with his three disciples and touched a 12-year-old girl and said, little darling, come forth. And that little darling came forth. I was there that day. On the outside, I didn't see it, but I saw her after. I knew she was dead, and I saw her. I, I was in the streets one day, making sure that wherever he was, I would be around to see some of the things he said and did. And I never found any fault in him. And I was there one day when a widow had her only son, and there was a funeral procession. And he stopped it and raised the son up and, and power and uh, life came into the sun. I was there and saw it. I was there when uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead and he said, Lazarus, come forth. I was part of the crowd that was there when he fed 4,000 of us and later on he fed 5,000 of us. I was there. I was there when he healed the leper's hand. I just can't believe he's in that grave. Now all my hopes are gone. Well, he talked about eternal life. He said he would forgive sins. Many, many people believed him and they went away with their sins forgiven. And Now if he's in that tomb, my sins aren't forgiven. If he's in that tomb dead, I don't have any hope. No hope. He told us that if you believe, he'd take us to heaven. And he told people that he had a prepared place to take them. But I guess it isn't true because he's in that tomb and he's dead. He said he was God, but he's dead in the tomb. So I guess there's no hope. I still have my sins. When you die, you're dead. There's no future life. Apparently he wasn't telling all the truth. And why would a person think that way? Because they didn't yet know the scriptures. Didn't say they had not heard the scriptures. And John even believed the scriptures. Theologically, 
but he didn't know the scriptures about resurrection. You may believe in forgiveness, but not know the scriptures. You may believe in reconciliation and not be reconciled to your own family or to your loved ones or to people in the body. You may believe that God heals today, but you don't get healed. You may believe that God takes away the scars of the emotions and the guilt and the fear and yet still have it. You may even believe God can do it and yet still live in the, the defeat and bondage of being without it. That's what we want you to understand today. These people were apostles, but they did not know the scriptures. Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer and die, be buried, and he will rise again in three days. Well, you would have thought that they would have said, okay, the first day, the second day, but tomorrow he'll be risen. No, they were hiding in a room with locked doors thinking their cause was over. They were with him when he performed his miracles right before their eyes. But they didn't know the scriptures. You know what the tremendous problem is in, in every local assembly throughout the world is multitudes of sincere people, multitudes of Christians, multitude of people that have been taught well, don't know the scriptures. Yet, that's the problem. All of a sudden, Mary Magdalene, that sweet, precious woman who had the courage of faith without having a living faith, that woman was visited by an angel. And then Jesus Christ himself visited her. And he said, Mary, Mary, and she'd been weeping she loved him and she said Rabboni my master Mary said in effect you're risen it can't be finally you, you ever notice even after he'd appeared to the disciples, the first time, it was almost like they still didn't know anything. They still went away in the upper room uh, on the first day of the week and when locked the doors for fear of the Jews. Even when they knew that he was resurrected, they still didn't understand it enough to trust him. To trust him. Why? They were not experiencing the resurrection life of the scriptures. They knew it. They believed it. They saw the empty tomb. And it was not enough. The Holy Spirit must witness with them. And they must turn to God through Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, this Christian, who had followed him in so many places, heard 
that the stone was rolled away and there was an empty tomb. And this Christian probably said, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. He's risen. Sin has no dominion. Guilt has no dominion. Death has no dominion. Fear has no dominion. Loneliness has no dominion. Failure has no dominion. Disease has no dominion. Sickness has no dominion. A broken home has no dominion. A bad marriage has no dominion. A person that's failed many times, it, it's not over. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. There was a Savior that died on that cross and shed His precious vicarious blood and bore every single sin in His own body and paid for every single sin and was buried and rose again. And the Holy Spirit raised him, His body up in Romans 1 for His humanity. And though He was God, He allowed the Holy Spirit to do that. And He is alive. He is alive. This Christ is alive in His glorified humanity. And therefore, the Word of God says that empty tomb means that we can be saved if we believe upon Him. If we don't believe, we'll spend eternity in hell and die in our sins. That empty tomb means that the worst sinner in the world can be cleansed and forgiven for everything. That that empty tomb means that a believer can be seated together with Christ and complete with Him in a brand new creature. That empty tomb means that in my heart, when the Word of God dwells richly, there is life, there is power, there is faith, there is hope, there's a good self-image, there is a divine prospect, there is a boldness, there is a courage, there is a confidence. Don't you see? He's risen. He's risen. The tomb is empty. And so, if God was risen uh, from the grave in that human body, if the Holy Spirit raised Him, can't He quicken your model body in Romans 8.11? Can't He rebuke cancer? Can't He rebuke uh, some disease? Can't He rebuke AIDS? Can't He rebuke the herpes? Can't He rebuke disease? Can't He rebuke lung cancer? Can't He rebuke problems of health? Can't He rebuke emotional scars? Can't He heal the soul? Can't He heal the mind? Can't He heal you from the past? Can't He heal you? Of course He can. It's an empty tomb. It's an empty tomb. It's an empty tomb. It's an empty tomb. He is risen. First Corinthians fifteen fourteen says, If Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. Then it says, your faith is in vain. Seventeenth verse says, if Christ be not risen from the dead, your faith is in vain. But the twentieth verse says, now he is risen. Oh, today, if the Holy Spirit could visit every one of us so we would know the Scriptures. 
many scriptures you quote, how long you've been saved, how sincere you are. I care about knowing that a Savior died and was buried and rose again and, and it went to heaven and is praying. It's an empty tomb. He had power over our sin and, and he canceled it and condemned it in his flesh and he nullified its effect. He has power over guilt and fear and loneliness and disease and the past and the present and the future. He has power over marriages. He has power over individuals' emotions. He has power over weaknesses and self-image. This Christ in man, when he said, I can do all things because I have all power from my Father. And I give you that power. I give you that authority and I give you that grace and he started this magnificent program of we don't stay home when there's an empty tomb. We don't, we don't get defeated when there's an empty tomb. We don't talk negative when there's an empty tomb. We don't talk about people when there's an empty tomb. We don't cause division to defend ourselves when we're in an empty tomb. People come up to me yesterday and said, people are talking about me. And I said, in a fast an empty tomb. What do you care? It's an empty tomb. <laughs> Some people are drifting. Drifting. Drifting on with no shore in view. Think not the ship will always, or the sky will always be blue. Storm and shipwreck will come to you. Drifting over life's sea. Drift no longer, let Jesus save. Let him guide you across the wave, lest you sink into the sinner's grave. Drift over life's sea. You know, drifting rather over life's sea. I want you to see something. If this message isn't real, much of your life will be spent drifting. If this power isn't in you, much of your life will be as a weak, careless, personality-oriented, moody, up and down, Christian who makes excuses for everything that happens and you always defend yourself. No! We have a powerful Christianity. Our God in the flesh was raised up by the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is in us. And when we, through faith in Christ, release Him, we have a supernatural Christianity and God is alive to bless, to save, to deliver, to heal, to restore, to reconcile as He did through redemption. Don't say, well, I'm having such a problem with sin. Well, he's still in the grave. Well, my marriage really hurts me. Well, he's still in the grave. Well, I can't get rid of the guilt. Well, he's still in the grave. Well, somebody hurt me, and I, they wounded me, and I'm going to be upset for it. Well, he's still in the grave. That's the problem. Well, well, God doesn't heal the sick. My sickness has bothered me for 20 years. Well, he's still in the grave. Uh, I get so lonely, nobody understands. Well, he's still in the grave. That's the problem. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. He's still in the grave. That's the problem. But I thought he was risen. Not for you. 
Oh, no, 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 no. He finds you. But you, I believe in the resurrection. I go to church. I know. I know you believe it. But you don't know it yet. Ah. If you're in bondage to sin or anything, you may believe it, but you don't know it. And that means you aren't experiencing this amazing dynamic power of a living God in a human being to release his power in these faculties, in his resurrection, supernatural victory over the devil and over hell and over sin and over the fallen, depraved human creature on earth. Well, listen, I'm going to close now. I want you to get something straight. You can teach exegetically. You can teach with isagogics. You can teach in the original language. You can teach verse by verse and word by word in the original. You can communicate categorical doctrine. You can be the finest, smoothest, gifted teacher in all the world. You can believe in it and live a clean life, but until we know what we believe, until we experience what we say through the power of God quickening our mortal body in Romans 8:11, until this happens, we're going to be a lot like other people who don't, do not know He's risen yet. Now you're going to spend some time tomorrow mourning about your bad lot and withdraw from the body and get mad. Why not? Jesus is still in the grave. If He be not risen, our preaching is in vain. That's why the call of God on your life is so important. Some should enroll in Bible college. Some should be in the Bible college ministry and prepare for the third world in Europe and you should get a good education in the Bible. You should specialize with people that have been in it for years and you need to make some decisions and stop being dominant, weak, dull, dopey, uh, uh, okay, sincere, but sad and different. Some of you men go fishing when you should go soul winning. You don't have the courage and guts to make a decision for God. You're a coward. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. Jesus' body isn't in it. Jesus took the napkin and folded it where, where normally his head would be so you'd know he did it. When John saw it, theologically he believed, experientially he went to his own home. And the next verse says, Holy Spirit told him to write they didn't yet know the scriptures. Later on he'll write them, but now he doesn't even know them. He's heard them in Bible school, but doesn't know them yet. Oh, listen. Our faith is not in vain. Our preaching is not in vain. Our soul winning is not in vain. Our service in Lord is not in vain. Our prayer life is not in vain. 
Our testimonies are not in vain. Whatsoever we do, when we do it to God's glory and with all our heart, no matter what it is, eat, drink, or whatsoever we do to God's glory because He's risen, it is not in vain. I give something to a poor beggar, it's not in vain. It'll be remembered forever. I drink, give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, recorded forever. I visit the prisoner in Jesus' name, recorded forever. I go to the old age home and visit the precious old people in Jesus' name, and it's remembered forever. I go down on, on the North Street and throughout and tell them how much Jesus loves them. They're the sweetest people in the world. They break your heart often when you're talking to them. They're the most magnificent people I've ever met. Don't have a thing, but they're courteous, respectful, and will listen to you. And I saw them come out yesterday in groves, honoring an invitation because somebody loved them. That's not in vain. Sunday school is not in vain. Outreach is not in vain. Bible studies, not in vain. Bible college is not in vain. See, we are, we're the only, we Christians all over the world, wherever you are, whoever you are, I mean by this, we are the most fortunate people in the world. Inside our bodies is a resurrected, glorified Holy Spirit of Christ and the Father, Son, and Spirit dwells there. There's a word of life that created the universe, holds it together. Whatever we do, we do not do it in vain. Look, I cannot stand up in front of this powerful God. I don't struggle to get victory over drinking. I don't struggle to get victory over smoking. I don't struggle to get victory over bubble gum. I, I chew it whenever I get a chance. Uh, God is risen! 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 Christ is risen! It's an empty tomb! It's an empty tomb! He lives in me! He lives in you! He's risen! Listen. You can't tell me that that doesn't make you happy from down here up to here. <laughs> I even dare to ask a few people now how it's going. They say, it's great in Jesus. Last summer, how's it going? Well, can't find work. I'll pray. Because it won't do any good, but I'll pray. Yeah, I've already prayed. It hasn't done any good right now. But we're here. Yeah. Things aren't so good. I know it. Liberalism taking over the country. Awful, isn't it? Yeah. No jobs. We're in one of the top seven cities in America in economics. I heard on WBAL recently we're in the top four this week. But, but, but there's no jobs. No, no jobs. Economy's terrible. Across the world, only five and a half, across America, only five and a half percent now unemployed, lowest in uh, ages. But no, 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 it's terrible. It's terrible. Can't get a job. Can't get a job. Got John Hopkins Hospital plus Jesus, but I'm sick all the time. <laughs> the best hospital in America, perhaps, in Jesus Christ, but I'm sick. Can't get better. 
Terrible, isn't it? They make you want to die early. I got some news for you. If you die early and you're saved, that you'll be resurrected too. And if Jesus comes first, there's going to be a rapture. And even the unsaved dead are going to have a resurrection. Only the problem is it's to the white throne judgment where they'll be cast into hell afterwards. God is going to end everything in resurrection. Everything's going to be ended in resurrection. Even the unsaved dead will have a resurrection. John 5, 28, and then they'll be judged for the final judgment and cast into Gehenna. God even lets them experience resurrection. Too bad what happens afterwards. Listen, that power that does it is ready to deliver us today, to save us today, to bless us today. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, let this Easter Sunday be your declaration against the devil, against the past, against demons, against false accusations, against projections, against bad habits, against drifting attitudes. Let this day be the beginning of a brand new Holy Spirit experience of resurrection through glorifying Christ, making the Word of God alive and quickened it in your model body. And today, if you've never been saved, you have never been born again, and you'd like to be, say, Father, forgive me and save me in Jesus' name and stand on your feet and be proud that you did it right now. Come on. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. Raise your hand. If you're here today, you have an unusual physical disease. I don't care what it is. And you're just going to believe God's word. Stand on your feet. Stand. Emotional, mental, physical, cancer, AIDS. I don't care what it is. Believe God, alcoholism, drugs, whatever. You believe God. Pride can't keep schedules. You stand, too. You need deliverance. Come on. Let's let God do a great work today. Our precious Father, in the name of Jesus Christ today, you heal this body through your power. And may they claim Romans 8.11, if the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead quickened their mortal body, if it raised him up from the dead, shall it not also quicken your mortal body? Will it do it, folks? Can it quicken your mortal body? Can it take away the dominion of sin, the dominion of guilt, the dominion of resentment, the dominion of self-condemnation, which precedes resentment? Can it take away the dominion of a broken marriage, blaming the other party? Stop blaming the other party. Kneel at Calvary and get right yourself. Listen, today's the day for AIDS, cancer, bats, liver, ulcers, finances, to, to bow down to the empty tomb and to the ascended throne ministry of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within you. Do you believe me? Everybody believe together. Father, for all manner of diseases, for all manner of needs, for all manner of healings, do it in Jesus' name. 
and heal and deliver and save and bless completely and totally. I believe the Holy Spirit's power is quickening the model body. I believe the Holy Spirit's power is delivering the soul. I believe the Holy Spirit's power is bringing in hope and faith and new life. I believe the Holy Spirit's power is making calls on people's future. I believe the Holy Spirit's power is giving grace to relax, peace to enjoy Jesus and make this a great inward day of resurrection, not just observing a day on the outside. And I believe today that we are seeing you move in this Word of God revival, which is intensifying every service, which is growing every moment. And I believe it's one of the greatest things that's ever hit America in modern times. And I believe today, Father, that we are making church history in the, in the angelic conflict. And Father, today, bless, move. And we thank you and praise you for the servants, for the workers, for everyone here. We thank you for their love and for their faithfulness. And now today we thank you for what you've done at this hour. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Stand right now, everybody. <laughs>